Zoom, Microsoft Teams, WebEx, and GoToMeetings are just some of the platforms that many of us use on a regular basis to communicate with colleagues, customers, friends, and family members. In today's episode, Failure to Launch, you will learn how an innovator conceived an idea similar to these platforms way back in 2006. He raised over $25 million from investors for a virtual communication platform that never came to fruition. The platform failed to launch, not because of a weak internet connection, but because of his fraudulent actions. Hello, and welcome to Real Life Regulators. This podcast series is brought to you by the North American Securities Administrators Association, also known as NASA. This podcast was created to educate investors using real-life examples of securities fraud cases. During each episode, we review different cases and discuss what went wrong, how you can identify the red flags of securities fraud, and what you can do in the future to protect yourself and your loved ones from a similar situation. Facts in this podcast may be modified or altered for educational and or entertainment purposes. I'm your host, Nick Bondrew, and I'm the Education and Public Affairs Manager for the Alabama Securities Commission. My co-host today is Amanda Blanks, Investor Education Coordinator for the Virginia State Corporation Commission, Division of Securities and Retail Franchising. Also joining us is Justin Anderson, a Senior Investigator from the Virginia State Corporation Commission's Division of Securities and Retail Franchising. Justin, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in your role as senior investigator? Hello, everyone. I am, as Amanda said, a senior investigator with the Virginia State Corporation Commission. I've been with the commission for the last four and a half years. Uh, I enforce aspects of the Virginia Securities Act and the Retail Franchising Act. Okay, so thank you. Um, The subject of this case is Alan Strength. Can you briefly describe this case? Yes, sir. So Alan Strength was the subject of this investigation. The investigation was also regarding his uh, startup company called CC Tech Incorporated. Uh, uh, The startup company was supposed to provide an integrated voice and messaging service uh, to allow businesses to communicate internally, employee to employee, uh, also to allow them to communicate business to business and business to client. So would you say that this was very similar to something that we see today, like back, like Microsoft Teams or? I I would say very much so that this was supposed to be a software program uh, that would facilitate the same kind of service that we see with Microsoft Teams or WebEx, Zoom, um, Google Meets, et cetera. Gotcha. So what kind of background did Alan have? Was he already involved in the tech industry? Alan did have experience uh, in the uh, technology industry. He had worked uh, for previous companies. I believe he also had one successful startup prior to uh, founding or CC Tech in 2006. There was one successful startup that he sold to, I believe, a Fortune 500 companies. So yes, he did have experience in the industry. 
Well, can you tell us a little bit about Alan Strength himself? Like how old he was? Was he married? What kind of family life he had? Yes, sir. So I believe that Mr. Strength, uh, at the time that CC Tech was incorporated, uh, he would have been around uh, 30, uh, probably just getting into his 30s. And Mr. Strength uh, was very much a portraying the image of a, a hip uh, businessman, if you would. Um, he had a strong desire for tattoos. He enjoyed playing basketball, uh, but he was also a, a very technologically inclined, uh, very interested in coding uh, and computer programs, that kind of deal. Uh, Mr. Strength was married as well, and I believe he had uh, three or four kids. Do you have any idea where Alan was from originally? Uh, as far as I could tell or what I found during the investigation was that Mr. Strength, uh, he did live in Virginia for an extended period of time. And I believe that was uh, back to the um, founding of CC Tech. So the early 2000s. Well, Justin, how did your office learn about this case? This investigation uh, was opened uh, after the division received a complaint. Uh, we received a complaint from an accountant in Northern Virginia who was working through uh, one of his client's financial records, an elderly client, and he had found uh, an investment contract that his client had entered into between CC Tech and, and himself uh, in 2006, I believe, for around $15,000. And the accountant attempted to request various records, financial records from CC Tech uh, to get his client's financial records in order. Um, and the accountant further stated that CC Tech provided uh, maybe a handful of profit loss statements. And this, this would have been in 2016 when he was trying to get these records together. He received a profit and loss for 2015 and CC Tech uh, informed the accountant that they would not be interested in providing any additional records. Uh, at that point, the accountant did some research on the company. He found that the principal office address for CC Tech was a UPS PO box. And with the suspicious address being a PO box, and as well as the refusal to provide financial documents, the accountant believed that those were red flags. Uh, that warranted a complaint to the securities regulators in the state of Virginia. So you had mentioned um, earlier about 2006, but when did CC Tech actually form? So CC Tech was incorporated in Delaware in 2006, and they intermittently filed a business entity form in Virginia in 2017 after we started our investigation from your recollection was there any other initial business partners with alan strength or was he like the sole one running the business from what i understand alan strength was the main individual running the account 
or I mean, sorry, running the company. Uh, there were some large names uh, on the members of the board uh, that there were advertised uh, that there were various board members uh, that were assisting Mr. Strength. Uh, but as far as I know, I do not believe any of them assisted on creating the actual product. Did they play any other roles as far as being board members or were they all just kind of fabricated as well? The, they were not fabricated. Some of them were actual real people, uh, but the roles that they actually served for CC Tech uh, was something that was unidentifiable for us. Uh, one of the board members was a previous uh, investor. He was offered a spot on the board uh, after he contributed a large amount of money to CC Tech, and he worked to solicit new investors and prospective investors. And he knew a lot of names in Northern Virginia and he had a large community around him that he also solicited to invest in CC Tech. You've given us a really good description of what CC Tech was all about. And it, it sounds very innovative for its time going back in the early 2000s. Did Mr. Strength have a prototype available or was it still in the early developmental stage? So ba based on information that was reviewed during the investigation, uh, we believe that the product was in a develop stage, a development stage. Uh, we do not believe that a prototype existed. Uh, there were communications to investors that CC Tech had contracts and was making sales to some large Fortune 500 companies. But as far as we saw when reviewing the information, we, we could not find a functioning prototype. So when he was making these sales to these Fortune 500 companies, he didn't really have anything to give them in return. Um, are you kind of shocked that you didn't hear from any of those before, like the accountant? Well, the I believe that these contracts that CCD Tech claimed to have between Fortune 500 companies were completely uh, fabricated okay. because we did uh, subpoena some of these Fortune 500 companies for any kind of invoices or contracts or payments that they potentially made to CC Tech. And we could not identify any of these companies that did any kind of business with CC Tech. And just to kind of piggyback on what Amanda said earlier, just give or just to remind the listeners about the time frame of all of this, you know, back in 2006, MySpace was still a thing. Um, Facebook was just starting to catch ground. Um, I'm not even sure if Twitter was really a popular form of social media back then. I'm pretty sure it was around, but it hadn't yet seen the heights of what it was seeing today. So truly this idea that he had was very, very innovative for the time that he was in. Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I believe that the software that he was attempting to create would have been a a very sought after product, uh, especially nowadays with pandemic and working from home, the 
virtual work environment is has become much more important. And I believe that this type of product uh, would have done well in the market. And given that, do you think that um, Mr. Strength started off trying to defraud people or was he actually, did he have a goal of starting this platform? I believe that Mr. Strength did intend to create a, a product uh, to market and sell. Uh, he just came off of selling a previous startup company. He had a success. I think that he had a good idea and he knew how to market his ideas. Uh, at some point, I believe that it became more about generating uh, money than it was about actually creating the software. So all of this talk about, and we haven't even gotten into some of it yet, but all of the talk that we've had so far is dealing with money. We know that he has successfully sold off a business. He's getting money in from investors. And one of the red flags that the accountant saw was that the address or the business address was a UPS box. Can you tell us about his actual physical building and if he even had employees at the time during the startup phase? Okay, so from about 2006 to when we received the complaint in 2016, we were not aware of, we could not identify a actual physical office address for those 10 years. Uh, after we initiated the investigation and began asking questions, uh, a business entity filing was submitted uh, and a principal or physical office address was listed on that entity filing. We visited the CC Tech office uh, building, which looked like a rented space in a large office building. The lights were off when we uh, visited the office building. There were no employees that we could see uh, and a stack of mail on what looked like uh, a secretary's desk at the front of the office. I know that we talked about this a little bit earlier, but can you tell us um, some more in detail about how he went about getting investors and what his pitch was. Okay, so in the earlier parts of CC Tech, after it was um, incorporated in Delaware, so about 2006 to 2016, uh, I think it was very, it was more on the word of mouth end. Uh, it was friends of friends or community members or individuals who may have been affiliated with his previous startup. Uh, and that probably went from about 2006 to 2015 or 16. Now, or, sorry, CC Tech did uh, start raising additional funds in 2016, and they really uh, started driving behind trying to raise funds for CC Tech and I believe that Mr. Strength was affiliated with some entrepreneur com communities in Northern Virginia, including the Tower Club, and also uh, some of his existing investors assisted him with soliciting uh, prospective investors. So what was his target demographic that he was going after? I don't believe he necessarily had a particular demographic that he did target. At, at one point in time, uh, 
while CC Tech was raising funds. And that one investor that I had mentioned earlier uh, became a board member and then assisted with soliciting new investors. He was Indian and he uh, solicited very, um, very directly to his Indian community and he brought in multiple other Indian investors. Uh, so if, if there was any kind of affinity, it, it would have been the uh, Indian investors. So when he's getting money from these investors, what was he telling the investors that they would get in return? And by any chance, did any of them have any form of written contracts? So all of the investors that we contacted, that we interviewed, uh, they all signed contracts. We did receive um, a handful of investor contracts from the company and then also requested them from the investors. We believe that there were around uh, 60 investors and we had a, a written contract for over half of them. One of the ways that he was selling this investment opportunity to prospective investors was to really outline the value of CC Tech. And what had occurred was Mr. Strength reached out to a third party uh, firm to do an evaluation of CC Tech. And that firm was not under contract. The third party firm drafted a valuation for CC Tech and that valuation was between 300 to $500 million is what the company wow. could be worth. And Mr. Strength would use that draft uh, and send it to his investors to and his prospective investors to communicate how valuable the company is, how much money they could make by making by contributing a small investment. Uh, and he provided uh, various charts to show return on investment. And he made lots and lots of uh, representations about contracts, the growth numbers of the company, the revenue growth year over year, and the interest from Fortune 500 companies. He really sold CC Tech through uh, financial information. And I think it has to be said, you know, this started, CC Tech started in 2006. Um, kind of the whistle was blown in 2016. It's pretty remarkable that he was able to execute the scheme for right at 10 years without having an actual physical office building um, where people could actually come sit and see what was going on. Uh, but how much money out of the 60 in, uh, that invested with him, what kind of money are we talking about as far as an individual level? How much would, would you say, and I know it's kind of hard to give like an average, but what kind of money was one investor giving to Alan Strength? Uh, so that that is a difficult question because there are some very large uh, donors in, in this group of investors. Uh, I would say that the average is probably between $100,000 and $200,000. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of important just to let the listeners know that this wasn't, you know, if you lose a dollar to a scam, that's a dollar too much. 
but this was really big money that was going into CC Tech. So, sir, many of the investors were accredited investors. And can you explain for the listeners what an accredited investor is? Yes, sir. So, an accredited investor, uh, it can be an individual uh, who has annual income exceeding $200,000 uh, or an individual with a net worth exceeding a million dollars. It can also be a couple uh, that has over $300,000 in annual income for at least two years uh, or, again, that a couple with a net worth exceeding 1 million. It can also be a business entity uh, with assets exceeding 5 million. And with the updates that the Securities and Exchange Commission put out in 2020, uh, investment advisors and broker dealers can also, uh, are also accredited investors. So what's, what would be a benefit of being classified as an accredited investor instead of just like a regular investor? So uh, accredited investors are believed uh, to have experience in investing and in financial markets, and that has allowed accredited investors an opportunity to invest in some private placements. Uh, sometimes there are, there are various uh, exemptions offered by the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, where companies or individuals can raise funds through this exemption filing. And some of those exemptions require the investors to be accredited investors. All right, Justin, I'm always curious when the investigation is being conducted and you're following the money trail, where did you guys find the money was going if it never really actually went into producing the technology platform? So by following uh, the money, as, as you had said, and, and analyzing uh, business accounts and bank accounts, we found that a majority of the money was going to personal use. Uh, Mr. Strength and CC Tech raised around uh, $25 million from, as I previously said, to around 60 people, and a lot of that money uh, went to funding Mr. Strength's uh, lavish lifestyle and the lifestyle of his family. Towards the end of uh, this investigation, Mr. Strength was renting a home in California to the tune of around $35,000 a month. And a lot of investor money was going to cars, planes, homes, uh, very, very lavish lifestyle. Uh, type expenses. $25 million. That is a ton of money. So when did the victims start asking questions? Victims, I, I would say the complainant is really what kicked it off for us. Um, and when we got to the point of understanding what was going on with CC Tech, with Mr. Strength, and really get an understanding of how he was going about raising investor funds. Uh, we began to reach out to investors to conduct interviews to see what kind of representations were made to them. And 
once we started reaching out to individuals that had invested with CC Tech, we just received endless questions and phone calls. And that would have been in maybe 2017. Were the victims, were they shocked? Or were they kind of like on his side, just giving him a little bit more time to develop this? Were they like cheerleaders or were they just kind of shocked that they had been duped? With with the investors, it, it was kind of a mixed bag. Anybody that invested prior to, uh, I'd say, 2015, um, they were not in that group. They were much more uh, concerned and they had a lot more pointed questions for us. Well, like as far as like some of the victims, I know it's kind of hard to kind of group, you know, 60 people and try to say that they're demographic, but uh, what were the status of these people? Were these like well-respected people in their communities or just regular run-of-the-mill type of people? So it, it, it was a, it was a mixed bag uh, of investors, but there were a lot of established and wealthy individuals uh, from Northern Virginia uh, that were known names in their community. Uh, as I've mentioned repeatedly, the, the board member and that one investor who became a board member, he uh, was very involved in the Indian community in Northern Virginia, and he brought a lot of uh, additional Indian investors to CC Tech. They were a very wealthy and established group in, in Northern Virginia. How do you think he was able to carry out this fraud for as long as he did? I believe that he was able to carry this out uh, based on the investor updates that he provided, uh, where he was he tried to be constantly in communication with his investors, providing updates, uh, providing, as I'd mentioned, uh, revenue growth numbers, providing evaluations. Uh, he would uh, talk about all the contracts that CC Tech had with uh, Fortune 500 companies. And I, I believe it was just kind of the, the kick in the can down the road with uh, how well the company is doing and, and all these, look at this amazing growth lots of uh, visuals and PowerPoints. And I believe that 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 is really what allowed him to carry this out for so long. So he's living in mansions, driving fancy cars, going on lavish vacations. How did his wife or any other family members not question this as to being real or not? Or do you just not think that they cared? So that that one is is a tough question uh, because I believe that Mr. Strength went from an average income uh, in an average area of town uh, in an average house to you know driving luxury vehicles, taking uh, trips overseas to the beach, and then eventually renting a home that was around thirty five thousand dollars a month. I I think it would be hard not to think something was going on, uh, but I think that uh, Mr. Strength was a prolific liar. And what do you think his motivation was for this scheme? 
I believe that at the beginning, the motivation was to create a usable product, a product that he would potentially be able to sell uh, to a Fortune 500 company for, for a large profit. I, I believe he was more of the, the get in and get out uh, kind of startup entrepreneur, get a, get a business going, get a good product, sell it, make a chunk of change and move on to the next thing. Uh, but I believe somewhere along the lines of trying to market and sell his startup, the amount of money that was coming in was just too tempting to not dip into every now and then. So when this house of cards started to kind of crumble, was there any evidence that he was trying to really ramp up getting this prototype up and running? Like at the I do not believe that there was an effort to get the prototype up and running. Uh, there was an effort to register the security uh, or the investment contracts that were sold. There was an attempt to file, and there was actually an exemption filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and they notice filed that with the Virginia State Corporation Commission as well. But this was well after uh, the securities were offered and sold. When you guys started your investigation, was he shocked that he was um, a subject of an investigation? How did he react? Uh, so at the beginning of the investigation, when Mr. Strength was contacted, he immediately retained counsel and the response that we received from CC Tech and Mr. Strength, they did provide some materials. Uh, we believe that they were fairly surprised by our contact and our letter, um, but they did not provide all of the records that we requested. And by the time we sent out a second request for information, uh, we received a response from their defense counsel that said that they would no longer uh, cooperate with any requests from the State Corporation Commission and that we would have to subpoena anything moving forward. So it was a little bit of surprise and then very much moved into just uncooperative. Were there any other hurdles that y'all had experienced from getting this case to trial? Uh, so with this investigation, uh, we did refer uh, what occurred to our federal law enforcement peers. Um, the FBI also reviewed some of this information. Uh, we were trying to gauge a criminal approach or a civil approach uh, with how we wanted to move forward with this case. I would not say that there were additional hurdles. Uh, we did move forward with a rule to show cause and Mr. Strength did receive a default judgment. And I, I do not believe that there were many hurdles for us getting to trial. It was really coordinating more with our federal law enforcement peers. And we had talked uh, previously before this recording, and you had mentioned that he had actually moved out to California. When did he actually do this, and what was his motivation for moving all the way across the country? So 
the state corporation commission, we did a rule to show cause, and then we also got a default judgment and a temporary injunction. And this was in 2018. Uh, we told CC Tech that they were no longer allowed to offer and sell securities in the state of Virginia. And at that point, Mr. Strength decided to move to California and to attempt to continue his fundraising for CC Tech uh, on the West Coast. And Justin, what exactly does it mean that the State Corporation Commission issued a rule to show cause? A rule to show cause is our request to the commission and to the commissioners where we lay out the details and the facts of what occurred during an investigation and we make recommendations on how to fix, address, or stop the activity that is ongoing. So now we are moving from the investigation to the trial. Uh, when he showed up for a trial day, did he act or show any kind of remorse towards his victims or were the victims present during the trial? For the state corporation commissions, our, our default judgment, uh, Mr. Strength did not show uh, for his day in court with us on the civil side. Uh, this investigation did continue uh, our federal Law enforcement peers did continue this investigation, and they also moved forward with a criminal trial. Um, Mr. Strength did not show any remorse in those trials. Uh, he maintained his innocence, and I do not remember seeing uh, a ton of investors in the hearing, but I believe that a handful did testify. And what was the outcome of this trial? So the outcome for the federal uh, criminal trial uh, was Mr. Strength received a 12 or sorry, more than 12 years in prison uh, for an investment fraud and money laundering conspiracy. He received wire fraud charges. So you'd mentioned earlier that he had maintained his innocence. Um, and I guess I'm gonna ask you just to kind of speculate, but do you think that he really thought in his heart of hearts that he was innocent? I, I'm not entirely sure how to address that one. I think that he would have preferred to be uh, innocent, but uh, who wouldn't really? And I, I think that the information that he made up uh, and that he represented to investors, uh, especially about the growth and, and how well the company is doing, I, I'd be very surprised if if he did not know that those were lies. And the reason why I bring that up on some of our previous subjects that we've, um, this podcast series is about, it seems like a lot of times the underlining theme with these fraudsters 
or if I just had a little bit more time, if I had a little bit more time, everything would have come together. And it just always seems like they never have enough time. But there's a never really any evidence that they really have a product that's going to market anywhere close to going to market. If they were to have had a little bit more time, it seems like they would have just had more time to wrangle in more victims. I agree very much with this case. I think it, it would have just been more, more time to raise more money. Wow. And when, was any of the money or assets um, after he was sentenced collected for restitution? So I can share a little bit about what we did at the state level. Uh, we did order around uh, $9 million uh, in restitution back to the investors. We also uh, fined CC Tech a little over 1 million. Uh, I'm not entirely sure as to what kind of asset forfeiture uh, the federal law enforcement was able to, to gather during their criminal trial. Well, of all the red flags, what were the red flags and warning signs for victims when it comes to investing into a business or product like this? I would say uh, a handful of, of red flags should always stick out. The, the first one that I, I mentioned is a startup company or any business for that matter that is seeking uh, an investment or, or seeking to raise funds that, that lists a physical office address as a P.O. box. That is a very big red flag. Uh, in addition to that, I'd say Securities that aren't registered or that do not have an exemption filing, uh, those would be another red flag. Uh, and exemption filings, you can you can find those on the SEC's website, Security and Exchange Commission's website. They have an Edgar search function to look up exemption filings. Uh, in addition to that, I would say that lots of big promises in emails, lots of big representations being made as to contracts existing and, and revenue growth, uh, that kind of deal that those can be potential red flags to investors. It's, it's something to do due diligence on, to follow up on, to verify whether or not these things exist or not. Um, but I, I believe that there were some red flags in this investigation that, that could have potentially stood out. So, Justin, I guess, you know, with us talking about like Microsoft Teams and WebExes, um, how do you think that made him feel? This is a product that he has developed, that he is promising investors, and essentially these products just appeared basically out of nowhere, and they're exactly or close to what he is promising his investors. Uh, I'm I'm sure that it had an effect on him, especially uh, in, in pandemic uh, workforce uh, with relying on virtual technology so much more. I'm, I'm sure that it, it, it probably had a negative effect on uh, Mr. Strength when he gets to look out of a, a prison cell at the effective uh, softwares that are out on the market now and really just kind of, I, I think it's a, it's a sobering experience where the idea that you you had that if you built it out you you could have been up there and but 
you, you decided to go in a different route. One of the biggest, what could have been if he would have just stuck to his plan and really just try to get this idea off the ground. It's a shame. Oh yeah. It could have been a very successful uh, business in Virginia and definitely brought go uh, growth to the Commonwealth, but it did not go that route. And is there anything that we have left out that you feel is important for listeners to know? I, I would say uh, to end is really just use the resources that are around you. Uh, use your state regulators, use your federal regulators, and make sure that you do as much due diligence as, as possible to get you to the point where you feel comfortable making an investment. Well, that's a perfect lead way to um, just a question that we always have is how can someone check the background of a person making an investment offer? The simplest way to do this is to go to nasa.org. That's N-A-S-A-A dot O-R-G. Click the contact your regulator tab located on the top right corner and then simply click your jurisdiction's regulator located on the map to obtain the contact information for your regulator. Being an informed investor means having a plan and understanding each of your investments. Whether you are new to investing or already investing, NASA and its members provide a variety of online investor education resources for investors of all ages. Visit nasa.org for more information on how to be a wise and safe investor. And again, that's nasa.org, N-A-S-A-A dot org. Thank you both for joining us today. And more importantly, thank you for the work that you do each day to protect investors. And that is all for today's episode. And from Montgomery, Alabama, I'm Nick Bondaroo. And from Richmond, Virginia, I'm Amanda Blanks. If you have any question about today's podcast or would like more information about the topics discussed, please email us at realliferegulators at gmail.com. That's realliferegulators, all one word at gmail.com. And if you would like to hear future episodes, please hit the subscribe button.